So first I would like to thank for this invitation to this conference where I learn a lot and uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, I was advised to uh, bring forward something new, so I tried it. It's new at least for me, I don't know if for you, uh, on the Jalali calendar, which uh, uh, was for me always a kind of mystery and I, I didn't know how to place it into the frame of other calendars. So, um, and as it goes, some uh, of the statements in my abstract are not true anymore for me, so um, uh, it has to be corrected. One of the universal problems in the history of calendars is the relationship of a description of a particular calendrical system in literary texts and its presence in documentary sources. In general, the first kind of sources provide information on its technical details and its historical context, while the second kind of sources allow inference on its use on everyday life. That was in German, that was in German is called Sitz im Leben. Highly specialized studies may well concentrate on one of the two kinds of sources, but general accounts should always have an eye on both sides. In my paper, I will present an exercise in this double view, and hopefully I will show how misleading it can be if one of the two sides is neglected. The case I will present is an example of opposing characteristics in literary and documentary traditions. The calendrical system in question is a modernized form of the Persian calendar, introduced during the reign of the Seljuk Sultan Malik Shah, ruled from 1072-1092. The name of the calendar is named after his honorific title Jalala Daula, therefore Jalali. Malik Shah was the son of Alp Arslan, who defeated the Byzantine army at Manzikert in 1071. In the following years, Malik Shah conquered almost entire Anatolia, and for the first time in history, this territory became populated by the Turks. One of the first accounts of Malik Shah's calendrical reform mentions his famous vizier Nizam al-Mulk at the first place as its initiator. Nizam al-Mulk is well known as the author of the Siyaset Nameh, a Persian book on political governance. The secular character of the book has made its author known as the Islamic Machiavelli. The oldest source on Malik Shah's calendar reform is the Nauru's Nameh, attributed to Umar Khayyam. In a section on several attempts to reform the Persian calendar, he reports the inconvenience of the shift of beginning of the year from summer to spring, since the Persian calendar had a fixed year of 365 days. The people had to pay their taxes earlier in the year when the crop was still short. The Abbasid Caliph al-Mutawakkil tried to reform the calendar since in his name the in his time the beginning of the year had shifted to April. But his reform was not lasting. In later documents, Persian dates are still based on the era of Yazdegerd, 16 June 632 CE. Umar Khayyam reports a second attempt to reform the calendar by Khalaf ibn Ahmad, the Safarid Amir of Sistan. In his time, Nauruz had shifted from June to March. 
but recorded dates show that the era of Yastigir was still used. This is evident from inscriptions. A particular case is the Arabic inscription on the Maruch Gorge, which has three dates, a, complex, a complete Hijra date and the corresponding months in the Persian and Syria, Syrian calendars. The Hijra date is fixed by the day of the week and corresponds to 19 December 1041. In the Syrian calendar, the months Kanun 1. In the Persian calendar, based on the Yastigir era, this corresponds to day 29 of the Pers Persian month Dai, if the five epagomenal days were put after the month Isfandamuth, and to day 24 of the same month if they were put after Aban. If a reform calendar had been used, an earlier month would have been written. However, the reform was not entirely forgotten. Nasir Khosrow wrote a travel book on his journey. He lived in Merv, and after a dream vision, he asked for a leave from his administrative duties and traveled to the West, to Iran, Iraq, Syria, Egypt, and the Arabic Peninsula. What concerns us here uh, is that in four cases, he supplemented the usual Hijra date with the corresponding Persian month and the day in that month. So, in the first case, 20 Savar 438 uh, corresponds to 25 Shahrivar. Second, 6 Safar 493 corresponds to the day Urmuz. This is the name of the first day in the month of the month Shahrivar. In 3, there is a, a time span given in the Hijra date, and the corresponding Persian date fits well into this interval. And in the fourth case, uh, Dul Hija 442 corresponds to first Chodat. The cases 1, 2, and 4 show a precise matching of the dates in the two calendars if the era of Yastgird is used. Nasir Khosrow used still the traditional Persian calendar. However, he must have been aware of the existence of a reformed calendar. In all cases, he has added the word Kadim, old. Shahriva Mahe Kadim, Farvadine Kadim, Rodad Mahe Kadim. We can only guess from which new calendar these dates were distinguished. Merv, the home of Nasir Khosrow, was under Rasnavid rule. There was indeed made a calendar reform during the rule of Mas'ud, the son of Mahmud of Rasna. It was praised in panegyrical poems, and the main point seems to have been to readjust two feasts. Sada was the feast of the return of the light, and Nauruz the feast of New Year. Both were celebrated with traditional rituals, and in their symbolism they were connected to the noticeable increase of day length in January and to spring equinox in March. The reform seems to have had the purpose of putting the two feasts back to their appropriate place in the tropical year. It might have been restricted to the calendar of Persian festivals and had no significance for other areas of life. The next reform reported in the Nauru's Name was the one by Salchuk Rulo Malik Shah. He was told about the inconvenience of early Nauru's he decided to fix the beginning of the year at the spring equinox. For this purpose, he engaged the best astronomers of the time from Khurasan. 
They built an observatory and began with observations. But according to the report in the Naurus Name, the task was not completed. It is explicitly said that the intercalation did not take place. The text is somewhat unclear concerning the reason. Either Malikshah lost patience and stopped the project, or he died and his successor was not interested anymore. If this report can be trusted, one may ask how the era that bears his name came into being. The first historian who gave an account of the reform was Ibn al-Asir. He separates the reform of the calendar from the erection of an observatory and the astronomical observations. According to him, the observations were stopped after Malikshah's death and the observatory was demolished. In the case of the calendar reform in which Nauruz was put at the spring equinox, he mentions an anonymous group of astronomers. But in the case of the observation, he reports the names of the three astronomers, the famous Umar Khayyam, the well-known Abu Muzaffar al-Isfizari, and the unknown Maimun ibn Najib al-Wasiti. This leaves the possibility open that Umar Khayyam joined the group of astronomers at a later time, and he was involved in the observations only and not in the calendar reform. From Hadji Khalifa's lexicon, we know that Umar Khayyam produced astronomical tables which were dedicated to Malik Shah, the Zijje Malik Shah, which unfortunately is lost. These tables might have been based on the observations at the court of Malik Shah in Isfahan. Al-Khazini, a younger contemporary of Umar Khayyam, prepared astronomical tables for Malik Shah's son, Sanjar, a siege as Sanjari. In the section on the different eras in history, he reports the following on Malik Shah's reform. The fifth of these famous epochs is the epoch of Malik Shah. The Sultan ordered that the true longitudes for this epoch be established at the beginning of that epochal year when the sun entered the beginning of Aries. He also ordered that the beginning of each month be when the sun changes from one zodiacal sign to another. The mean motions of the planets are extracted from other calendars. And so true longitude is established for this epoch for the sake of easiness. The beginning of this era was the first day of the month Sha'aban in the year 468 of the Arabs. Every 220 years there are 53 intercalary days. 45 of these are intercalary because every four years there is one intercalary day. Eight of these are intercalary because every 25 years there is one intercalary day, so that the total is 53. This is the first technical description of the Jalali calendar. The beginning of its epoch is set to 30 March 1076, three years earlier than in late reports. In the text, a table and a description follow on how to convert dates of the Jalali calendar. In later tables, the Jalali calendar is regularly dealt with. Nasir Dinatusi devoted a long chapter to it in his Siege Il Khani for the Mongol Emperor Hulegu in 1272. The great success of these tables might, might have corroborated the Jalali calendar as a topic in the chronological parts of astronomical tables produced in the eastern parts of the Islamic world and later in the Ottoman Empire. 
The most influential of all later tables were those produced under the direction of Ulu Beg in Samarkand. The historical and astronomical sources describe Manikshah's reform of the Persian calendar as a prominent event and leave the impression that the old Persian calendar was abandoned. But how far can this be corroborated by documentary sources? The first domain to be looked at are inscriptions. The only inscription recorded in the Thesaurus d'Epigraphie Islamique, which contains a Jalali year, is on an astrolabe, which was once in a private collection in Benares. Its present location is unknown, and no reproduction was published. According to the description of Morley in 1856, there were years in four calendars inscribed on both sides of the astrolabe. On the recto, year 193 of Malikshah, and on the verso, 640 of Yastigird, 1582 of Iskandar Rumi, and the signature Mahmoud ibn Ali ibn Yusha, the year 669 of the Hijra. If the standard eras are used, the dates are close together, but do not match perfectly. However, a Jalali era of 1079 is closer to the other dates than an era of 1076, as assumed in Al-Sijj al-Sanjari. Morley concluded from the owner's inscription that the astrolabe was made for the chief vizier of the Mamluk Sultan Baybars. This would be an important clue for the use of the Jalali era in the western part of the Islamic world. But the fact that it appears on an astronomical instrument limits this evidence. The astrolabe maker might have converted the Hijra date, which appears together with his signature, into all calendars described in his astronomical tables. In official monumental inscriptions in the time of Malikshah, the era bearing his name does not occur. In the Friday mosque of At Isfahan, two domes were built during his reign. The southern dome was founded by Malikshah's counselor Nizam al-Mulk, and the northern dome by the rival Taj al-Mulk. The inscription in the northern dome has a date, in the month of the year 481. This date must be a Hijra date. In the case of a Persian year based on Yastigird era, it would be long after the death of Malikshah. The inscription of the southern dome contains a long praise of Malikshah and the name of Nizam al-Mulk, but no date. From the titles mentioned, the construction must have taken place not earlier than 1086 CE. This was definitely after the calendar reform, but the era was not used for official purpose. The same holds for later inscriptions. Um, another domain to look at is numismatic evidence for the Jalali era. But as I have been informed by Lutz Ilish in Tübingen, years in the Jalali era do not occur on coins. I was only able to make a superficial investigation in official documents. The impression I have got is that there the Jalali era was not in use either. If the observation is right that the Jalali era was not used for administrative purposes, the question arises why the astronomical tables contain descriptions and conversion tables for converting Jalali dates. The only sources containing such dates which I was able to find are astronomical astrological documents. The earliest example is represented by two fragments in Berlin which were found in a book binding. 
They belonged to two consecutive leaves of a yearbook containing astronomical and astrological information. It can be dated astronomically to the year 1182-1183. This type of yearbook was first produced in the 11th century. Two fragments containing data for the Persian year 413 are the first example of this type. An almost complete leaf of a yearbook for the Hijra year 544 gives a clear picture of the layout of a double page containing information for one month. On the right side, the traditional layout of an ephemeris with the calendarium and the daily positions of the sun, moon and planet is seen. The calendarium contains the days of the Arabic, Coptic, Syriac and Persian months. The Persian dates are based on the era of Yazdegerd, despite the fact that it was made more than half a century after Malik Shah's reform. We come back to the yearbook for 1182-1183. In contrast to the former examples which were produced in Egypt, this yearbook was made in northern Iraq or Syria, perhaps in Aleppo. For this reason, the Coptic calendar is not included in the calendarium, which contains only the Persian, Arabic, and Syriac calendars. The two headings in large writing contain the Arabic and the Persian months' names. But in the corresponding columns of the calendarium, neither of them begins with the day one, but with higher numbers. Therefore, Neither of them, nor the Syriac calendar, served as the basis for the months contained on one page. All three calendars start on the first line with the day number higher than one. The dates in the Persian calendars are based on the era of Yazdegerd. Therefore, the only plausible assumption is that the months contained in the pages are based on the Jalali calendar. The position of the sun in the first line of the page indicating the first day of the month is not at the beginning of a zodiacal sign. Therefore, the months were not regulated according to the entry of the sun into new signs, as it is stated in the Sanctuary Siege. The other possibility was to keep the old system of 12 months of 30 days and additional epagomenal days to fill the gap before New Year. Indeed, if one counts back from the months of the two fragments to the beginning of the first month, one ends up at the day of the vernal equinox. This was the main point in Malik Shah's reform of the calendar to put now Rus back to its proper place. This is fulfilled in the yearbook of 1182-83. Since the beginning of the yearbook is missing, we cannot tell if the year based on the era of Malik Shah was mentioned. The next example of a Jalali date is a deluxe horoscope. It is the famous horoscope of Iskandar Sultan, a grandson of Timur. It is one of the most beautiful illuminated manuscripts of its age kept in the Welcome Library. The birth date of Iskandar Sultan is given in five calendars. Monday, 3 Rabi 1, 786 of the Hijra corresponding to 15 Udibihisht, the Jalali month, the year of Malik Shah 306, conforming to 17 old months Murzat, the Yastigid year 753, identical with 25 Rumi months Nisan, the year of Iskandar 1695. The calendar of the Hitai, 
so, uh, and then follow some letter combinations, which I couldn't decipher, but maybe uh, now uh, I have the key for it. The dates in the three traditional calendars agree to each other and correspond to 25 April 1384. The year 306 of Malikshah leads to an epoch of 1079. In this context, variation seems to be a value in itself. It is seen in the varying colors at the beginning of each dating phrase and the synonyms used for saying corresponds to. The manuscript contains 86 folios, which are lavishly illuminated. Therefore, the redundant five calendrical dates can be interpreted as a kind of chronological eloquence. The Iskander horoscope is a singular case, both in length of the text and in quality of the decoration. Even the Lux horoscopes contain only a few pages. However, their history is still uh, almost unexplored and more examples of the type of the horoscope of Iskander Sultan may come to light in the future. I return to yearbooks. A composite codex in the Bibliotheca Medicea Laurentiana contains a number of leaves of a yearbook for the year 1450 mixed up with leaves of a later yearbook. The text is in Ottoman Turkish. Here, for the first time, the Jalali dates are visible in a separate column. It is conspicuous that it is not attached to the calendarium with the traditional calendars, but put to the left, sorry, to the right of the columns of the feasts, as, is, as, if the, as if the scribe did not want to destroy the traditional order of the columns. At the first day of the first month, the sun is close to the beginning of Aries. Aries. But at the first day of the tenth month, the sun is in 24 degrees of Capricornus. As in the yearbook of 1182, the months have a fixed length of 30 degrees, 30 days, sorry, and generally do not coincide with the entry of the sun into a zodiacal sign. The beginning of the yearbook is missing, and we do not know if the year in the Jalali era was mentioned or not. The first case known to me for this is an Arabic almanac for the year 603. The calendarium contains three traditional calendars, the Arabic, the Roman, and the Coptic. Separated by two columns is the column with the Jalali dates. The script is unclear, but it is most likely called a Sultani. In the top left field, the year 524 is written in green and red. It is close to the column of the Jalali dates, and indeed, if subtracted from the Julian year 603, it leads to the era 1079. The old Persian calendar is absent in this almanac. One could speculate that it had become obsolete at that time, but on the contrary. In the numerous yearbooks in later time, the old Persian calendar is encountered regularly. I show that in my last example. It is an astronomical ephemeris without an astro no, astrological part. The calendarium contains seven calendars. Among them are the four traditional calendars, the Arabic, the Coptic, the Roman, and the Old Persian. Additionally, the Latin calendar is included and labeled as Gentile, Ajami. Also included is the Hebrew calendar, one of the rare cases in an ephemeris. 
Finally, the Jalali calendar forms part of the calendarium. At present, I cannot give a date for this ephemeris because neither the calendrical dates nor the planetary positions agree with each other. It will be a challenging take, a task to reconstruct the error history which led to actually irreconcilable data. The examples of occurrences of Jalali dates show that the Jalali calendar was exclusively used in documents belonging to astronomical and astrological activities. But as I think, it would be wrong to conclude that it had its significance in the minds of astronomers and astrologers only. It should be seen in a broader social context. Let me conclude my paper with some more general thoughts on time concepts in the pre-modern Islamic world. Jacques Le Goff's famous article, Temps de l'Église et Temps du Marchand, Time of the Church and Time of the Merchant, published in 1960, is still classical in medieval studies. The example of the city tower of Air sur la Lille, built in 1355, stands for the beginning of a new kind of time, the professional time. Its bells did not ring for prayers, but for commercial transactions and the labor of the workers. For the merchant, the time of business gave structure to his daily life, while the bells of the church served as another horizon of existence. This conception can well be applied to the pre-modern Islamic world, but we may tentatively call them more gener generic generically civil time and ritual time. In the public sphere, the civil time and ritual time were both present, present in parallel. As an example, Nuruddin Asangi in Syria is mentioned as the founder in an inscription of a sundial which was installed at the Umayyad Mosque in Damascus. In the text, it is said that the sundial was made, I quote, for the knowledge of the seasonal hours and the hours of the prayers, end quote. However, this two-type model time has to be, this two-type time model has to be supplemented. Special texts emerge among early paper documents from the 10th century onwards, which testify how time management was organized in everyday life. This, these are the so-called almanacs, which contain daily entries for a particular year with information of astronomical and astrological nature. In the center, there are predictions based on the aspects of the moon with the sun and the planets. The theory behind these predictions were a part of astrology, which was called kat archai in Greek, Ichtiarat in Arabic, and Elecciones in Latin. The earliest available example is a paper fragment of an almanac for the year 297 of the Hitra. A similar almanac made for the year 334 of the Hitra contains additional information by adding the hour of day or night when the aspects take place. This seems to allow for an even more precise scheduling of actions or the avoidance of actions at particular hours. More concrete descriptions are found in an almanac for the Coptic year 707. Besides more general judgments, there occur contacts with authorities or accomplish, to accomplish messages and others. The documentary examples have no archaeological context. We know only that they were probably found in the region of the Fayum or further to the south. However, a number of almanacs were found among the documents from the Cairo Genisa. They are very similar in layout and content to the almanacs shown earlier. 
There is one singular case in which an astrological document was found in a regular excavation. Some hundred Arabic documents were excavated in Al-Fustat, among them an astrological responsory. The building where it was found belonged to a group of houses which have been characterized as the workers' quarter. The presence of an astrological document at such a place seemed to indicate that astrology of a middle level was not limited to the elite or the rich bourgeoisie, but found its way to proletarians. This evidence suggests that the third type of time has to be taken into consideration, electional time. It had its public appearance too. On the talisman gate in Baghdad, the divine person of the moon as the dominant ruler of electional time was presented between the divine beings of the lunar nodes. In this new model, civil time serves interaction, interaction with society. Ritual time is directed towards the transcendental, and electional time keeps contact with the cosmic rulers but is directed to the individual itself. Concerning rulership, civil time is implicitly atheistic. Ritual time is decidedly monotheistic, and electional time is glaringly polytheistic. In structure, civil time is homogeneous, ritual time is dichotomic, and electional time is highly inhomogeneous. Civil time serves to manage interpersonality, ritual time serves to manage otherworldliness, and electional time promises to manage self-fulfillment. Moreover, the threefold concept of time can be applied to the three groups of calendars considered here. The lunar calendar, based on the Hitra era, was indispensable for organizing rituals in the course of a year. Various simple solar calendars were used for practical purposes in civil life. Finally, the Jalali calendar was used exclusively in connection to astrological practices and serves the planning of personal time choices in order to maximize individual success. This appeared to a large part of, of society guaranteed by the stars who were thought to govern all aspects of human life. To stay in synchrony with the heavens was for many the preferred way of life. The Jalali calendar was designed to achieve this. Thank you very much, Your Highness. It's very inspiring with that tricky division of time at the end. Um, any comments on this? Yes. Uh, Can you expand a bit on, on the kind of intercalation patterns that were used in connection with the Jalali calendar? So the one you mentioned is to interpolate 53 days in 220 years, is that right? That gives a surprisingly short average for the tropical year because you know, the one cycle that's always mentioned in popular literature is that 33-year cycle supposedly devised by Umar Khayyam. I'm not sure there's actual evidence in, in, in the early sources for that, which gives you a surprisingly accurate average for the tropical year. That 53 in 220 years is, I think, about it's about very close to the one by Albatani, so it's, it's a bit of a curtailed estimate for the tropical year. Can, can you expand on that a little bit? Because I'm surprised. Sorry, I, I, I didn't go in these uh, more technical details. Uh, I, it would be necessary to study the, the, the other sieges, as um, the one by, uh, by Atusi 
um, I'm, I'm not sure what his um, intercalation scheme is. I mean, what, what, we, what we really find is an opposition of uh, intercalation schemes on one side and astronomical calculations on the others. So uh, it, it comes, I mean, from the text it comes that the ideal would be to calculate it for each year uh, anew and uh, to use um, astronomical tables in order that, I mean, there is a standard exercise to, to determine uh, the spring equinox and because this was the time for doing an anniversary horoscope. So this is, was, a, was a standard thing to do for astronomers. But on the other side, for, uh, uh, for practical purposes, these kind of uh, uh, intercalation schemes are described also in, uh, um, in, in uh, Tupsi and, and Ulubeg, but um, still these, are not, these tables are not published. And, uh, one would have to edit the chapter first to translate it and analyze it. So this was beyond my capacity for this for this paper. So uh, the, the answer is I don't know. Yes. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting paper, and this, um, yes, this really underlines um, uh, what's good about this whole complex. Uh, people are working on the same thing and can't do complementary. Um, I think you're absolutely right that the Jalali calendar is never used for practical dating. It's nice to see you the coins and the inscriptions that make no role whatsoever in dating. It is used only in these astronomical and astrological texts, um, perhaps purely decoratively, just to show how many different calendars you can put the date in. Uh, it does, of course, um, as I said before, have one practical use, and that is that it fixed the version of the spring equinox, which was called the case before. And of course, the Zoroastrian calendar, um, as you say, yeah, is not used after the Seljuk period in Muslim sources for dating, but it's of course still used by the Zoroastrians. And we even decipher those Katai words? <laughs> well, yes, we'll look at them. Is there just one or are there several? Several birds. Yeah, we should look at them together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, as, as I said in my paper just now, the fact that it's spelled as Khitar yeah, would suggest that it belongs to the Karakitai in Peruana and Transoxania rather than to the Yahoo in China, but maybe perhaps I keep it open. Because we have no other evidence, no other evidence for those either. Yes, Sasha. Uh, um, I, can't, I can't help observing that there's a, a very strange reversal of history here because the, the Persian calendar is essentially, structurally speaking, the same as the Egyptian calendar. Yeah. If you go back to antiquity, you have the Egyptian calendar, which is not intercalated. In the last decades of the first century BC, there is a reform uh, following Augustus and so on with the addition of a, of a leap year in the Egyptian calendar, but astronomers continue using the old Egyptian calendar. Yeah, the, 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 in civil life, the new intercalated calendar is adopted, whilst astronomers continue using the old Egyptian calendar for reasons which are quite understandable, which is that it's actually much more convenient to computate um, um, you know, the long historical periods with a, with a stable 
year. Uh, and so it's, I'm really in a, slightly puzzled, actually, that the, exactly the reverse happens here, that there is a reform of a calendar, and it's the reformed calendar that's used by... the reformed intercalated calendar that's used by astronomers, whilst the old calendar is retained in civil life. Well, I mean, as I wa wanted to show, is that the old calendar was also kept by the astronomers. And maybe it was the backbone of, of calculation, uh, because it's so simple and, and safe. And that one, it was in a way the, uh, well, what um, people in chronology today use the Julian day, for instance, as the backbone of all, all dating. And maybe at that, in the earlier time, it was the, it was the, uh, the Egyptian and the, the old Persian calendar with their simplicity. And, and then they had co conversion tables which were designed to convert these uh, primary dates into the different calendars. So uh, I would say it was, uh, was like that. So in a way it's not so far from what you are describing. And the problem now is um, what civil society used um, I'm not sure if they used the, the, the Persian calendar further, by, because the, um, the uh, no rules was put to, as you said, was put to uh, spring equinox. But there is a, a document from the 16th century for the distribution of water. And there it is clear that the no rules is put on the spring equinox because it has to do with with the seasons. And, uh, but it's not a real calendar, but they count the days, they say, for instance, 67 days after, after no rules. So um, somehow um, you cannot say that the old Persian calendar was really, really used, certainly not uh, with, uh, I, think, I don't think that it was used for practical purposes with the era of Yastigirt. But there must have been solar, I mean, solar calendars. And then the, I mean, the modern solution uh, in, in modern Iran was to, to keep the Nauru's fix and to adjust it to uh, somewhat to the Hijra era. Um, it's not exactly like the lunar Hijri calendar, but it, it is similar, let's say, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the rough number or something like that. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think much more study would be necessary to go into, into administrative documents to, to see what, uh, what the practice was there. But, uh, I don't know of any uh, studies available to me in which this was done. You were giving, you gave the church bells, as it were, as uh, an example of the measurement of time. I mean, taking up one of the Goff's article in the West, but is it right to apply that directly to uh, an Islamic situation, to the Muezzin, presumably, well, or I mean, uh, I calling mean, the prayers? Yes. Well, I mean, yes. the, the Muezzin that's, that's, is... That's, yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry, 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 but that's ritual again, rather than actual yeah. civil <laughs> time. Yes, I yes. mean, the, the, the prayer times are, are very present in public space, yes. of course. Yes. by the call of the Muezzin. Yes. Uh, but what I wanted to show is, uh, I mean, business was done with the, with the civil hours, with the seasonal hours. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, and they were present in, in, in public too, by, by clocks or by uh, water clocks or by sundials. Mm. So uh, I think one has a, a, this shows that there were two uh, public systems of, of regulating daytime, at least. And then uh, if you take the almanacs with clear indication what to do at what time during the day, you have another system which, uh, which gives other instructions and um, um, is, a, is a third system in a way. And, but this was only based now on the regulation of the day. But what now in the preparation for this conference, I realized that one could apply this model also uh, to, uh, to the calendars. So that we can distinguish, we can uh, distribute the three types, three groups, I would say, mm. of calendars, mm. we, can, we can distribute it to also to these three purposes and spheres of, of, of a person's life. I mean, his, his ritual life, his mm. civil life, and mm. his uh, star-connected uh, life, I could say. Yes, but I wonder whether this can be applied to the Western calendars as well. Um, you are the first no, to answer that. <laughs> using the models of the of, of, of the clocks and, and, and the uh, well, the public the public clocks after all, and the and the, and the church bells. But I think uh, we. Oh yes, yes, yes. It's necessary to have three different calendars to separate those three different spheres of life, or can you have this separation on what, working on one calendar? So is it? essential to have different calendars for that? Or did it just happen that they had different calendars and then assigned to them different roles? Well, I would say my problem is the, is the Jalali calendar. What, what, what is its purpose? Why, why was it, uh, why came it into being? Why was it present in, uh, uh, in the texts and so on? This is the problem. I mean, the, I think the, um, the the solar calendars are for administrative purposes. It's clear it's needed for tax uh, administration and so on. And uh, I mean, the, uh, the um, lunar calendar, okay, was was uh, was was set by the Quran. And uh, so, I mean, this is not a great problem why they existed in, in Islamic society, but it's a problem why the Jalali calendar existed. In, Obviously, in uh, in Islamic society, and therefore, I tried to describe the attraction of such a construct. Uh, it was a construct by astronomers and astrologers, and but I think uh, it, it 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 needed some demand from that part of society which uh, uh, was attracted by astrological uh, practices and organized their life according to the prescription of astrology and the elections uh, to set um, time, the time for a particular task in life. And, and I mean, the Jalali calendar gave them a kind of overall uh, frame. Uh, and this was maybe attractive to, intellectually maybe attractive to have. And, but it's a, it's a different, it's a, you say exactly. You you ask why do must we have uh, another time concept? But I think 
the reasoning about um, uh, about astrology, the stars, and so on, is, is, is very different from the reasoning of, of daily business or the reasoning of afterlife. So they, they are divergent uh, ways of, of, of thinking and of, of time concepts, I would say. But do you, do you think it was originally introduced for this sort of stellar life, or did it just take all this purpose of serving astronomers and astrologers. Is it a later development that this is how it was used, or was it introduced for this purpose? Well, the, the sources are not very explicit about that. So, um, I mean, the sources tell, um, tell a more official story than it maybe was. Okay. Uh, I, I, my impression is because if, if it was, was really the, uh, the initiative of, of the ruler, you f would find it in the inscription. I mean, what other purpose? And second, why um, was not the, the year of the, um, the first regional year of, of Malik Shah the era? This would be the normal thing, and I wrote it wrongly in my abstract. Because I thought I th thought it is it, it is clear that it must be that, but this is not the case. It's a later date. Therefore, maybe it was just something uh, present in the uh, astronomical table of Umar Khayyam, and and he had maybe the idea to to make a new era, and in honor of uh, the emperor of the of the ruler, he called it Malikshah era. But it had nothing to do with properly with the reign of, of Malik Shah. It was nothing official, but it was in the circle of astronomers, astrologers, uh, where then it was used further. And it survived, as I could show. It was uh, not confined to the, to the time of its conception. Thank you. But there were other Arabic astrological tables uh, um, which could be used and were used by astrologers. It wasn't exclusively the no. But it was taken over, I mean, by the, by the real important mm. tables, at least in the, in the East. Mm. I mean, Tusi was so influential, yes. and, and afterwards Urobek okay. also. Yes. So. Well, thank you very much. And, uh,